Corey Hybe, Chris Harrington, and Aaron Courtney, three broads, bringing you stories and strategies exploring manufacturing topics that challenge the status quo while laying the foundations for future success. Together with special guests, they'll celebrate what's working and unpack what is not so you can learn, grow, and succeed. You want to learn more about your hosts? Make sure to listen to episode one. All right, Chris, we're in the dog days of summer now, aren't we? Just kind of wrapping her up here. It's sad. We are. But, but I'm it's ex- okay. It's okay. It is okay. Um, okay. I, I've been maximizing my summer, so I, I kind of don't mind things slowing down a little bit <laughs> for my own personal health and sanity. <laughs> yeah, we're we're leaving for the weekend for a wedding in Madison, and I was out early this morning soaking the garden just to make sure there was enough water there to to last through the weekend, which you know you only have to do in the summer. So we're still. We're still at that end. Um, everything's alive in the garden. It's so beautiful down there. I know there. it's so the big colors. and flowery and bright and bushy. Yeah, yeah, it's no, pretty. It's I'm great. loving all my my plants right now. Yeah. Um, well, let's get into the show here. We got an, an exciting guest, Harry Mosier. Yeah, he is the founder <laughs> of the Reshoring Initiative. After being president of GF Machining Solutions for 22 years. Awards include Industry Week's Manufacturing Hall of Fame. He's participated actively in President Obama's January 11th, 2012 Insourcing Forum. He's a member of the Department of Commerce Investment Advisory Council. He's frequently quoted in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, New York Times, New Yorker, and USA Today. And he's seen on Fox Business, Market Watch, and other programs. Harry, welcome to the show. <laughs> uh, welcome, Harry. Great, great to be here, ladies. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Oh man, I, I know we've chatted on um, a couple of other platforms, but let's share with our listeners, what is the mission of the Reshoring Initiative? Basically to uh, eliminate the $1.1 trillion goods trade deficit. So we, we import over a trillion dollars more than we export. And that has cost the US about 5 million manufacturing jobs. So when, when we when we achieve that, when we achieve our mission, U.S. manufacturing will increase by 40%, 40%. So if to all those who are listening, imagine you, all of your businesses were up by 40%. How wonderful that would be for you, for the country, for your employees, for, for all the kids who would now have, would look and say, wow, manufacturing career, that's great again. Let's go become manufacturers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, we'll be great for the country. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So... Um, why is it important to bring back these jobs to achieve this balanced trade? Well, as I said, those just having the jobs is good. The uh, if you think of the social ills of the country, a lot of people talk about income inequality, and 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 part of that in, income inequality is that there's a couple of billionaires making a billion a year, you know, at one end of the distribution. But the biggest cause of it is that in this middle of the income distribution, we've lost those five or six million manufacturing jobs that that pay you know fifty thousand a hundred thousand dollars a year and and tens of thousands of owners of small machine shops and foundries and things like that that have gone over under so company you know, company owners that made a hundred two hundred whatever thousand dollars per year so so you've had this hollowing out of the middle class significantly due to um offshoring 
due to the loss of jobs to offshore. Another, another thing you see from that is the opioid epidemic. It's generally agreed that much of that, which has occurred in rural America, was due to the company uh, town, the, the, the company, which was the main employer in the town going under or, or the work going off to offshore. Now these people couldn't find a comparable job, opioids, et cetera. So just, just all kinds of reasons why, why we'll be better off when those jobs come back. Wow, I haven't heard that relationship before to the opioid, opioid crisis. So, um, but it makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, I, I guess I really didn't tie those together. Yeah. yeah, a couple of uh, Professor Outdoor at MIT and a couple other people have done that, and they they've looked at where the opioids are, where the companies, where the uh, manufacturing employment fell off, and they mm -hmm. found there was a strong correlation between the two. Sure. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, do you see any trends? Any favorable trends in our in our direction? Things going the right way? <clears throat> oh, definitely. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm happy and chipper here. I it wouldn't be otherwise. So when we founded the reshoring initiative in 2010. It, um, to track uh, reshoring by U.S. companies and FDI, foreign direct investment by foreign companies. Think General Motors and, C and uh, Toyota, for example. Huh? So in that year, 2010, when we founded it, uh, 6,000 jobs were announced coming back. Last year, 260,000 were announced. And this year, if things continue as they have in the first half, could be 350,000. So we're up 50, 60 times over what it was 12 years ago. So it's been, it's been amazingly uh, pleasing, rewarding, you know, good for the country, et cetera, et cetera. But it's still not enough. If you, the, despite those jobs coming back, the American consumer so voraciously uh, consumes things coming in from China and offshore that the trade deficit has continued to rise. So we need, we need to bring back 500,000 or so a year you know to, to to counter that that trend and and so it's there's still uh i've still got a lot of work to do <laughs> well, i i've got a, a follow-up question to that then because of all of these jobs coming back which is uh fantastic without a doubt but the big challenge besides supply chain is people right now is getting yeah. people to actually fill those jobs what are what are you seeing happening with that first finally they are finding the people you know, I, I, most companies are finally getting what they need and it's getting a little better now as, as, as the economy is sort of peaked off, you know, things mm -hmm. slide a little bit and the, and the, and more people feeling confident of coming back to work, maybe the, the government stimulus money running out and they say, well, I, we, we want to eat, we better work kind of thing. And, uh, and so that, that's a good sign. There's also a lot of, uh, apprentice programs and community college training programs starting up around the country. And, um, and, and so, and, and also there's, uh, I just read a survey that said, due to, due to the COVID crisis and people understanding about supply chain gaps, that, that the high school student perception of manufacturing improved dramatically because they started oh. to understand that it's important to be able to make things cool. and get them as opposed yeah. to relying on them coming in from wherever they came in from so to speak. so, so there's, there's a lot a lot of pieces that are starting to come together here and at the same time things aren't as good there so even in germany which has the best program it's harder harder to get kids into the apprentice program and uh, i used to be the 
uh, one of the uh, executives of something called ISMA, International Special Tooling and Machining Association. And we had a meeting and we had 20 countries represented. And third world countries, uh, developing countries would get up and say, we, um, it's hard to get kids to become toolmakers and welders and machinists. They all want to become sociologists and anthropologists and do art and music kind of thing, you know? And so in, in other countries, it's harder. Even in China, I read a story about a, a factory owner saying, no, none of the kids want to work in manufacturing anymore. They all want to go to university and do whatever. See? So, so it's getting a little better here and it's getting a little worse there, mm, which is to our advantage. And, and another thing, just let me just go, since I'm rambling here, um, <laughs> there's a nice connection between reshoring and skilled workforce recruiting, because first, reshoring needs the recruitment, obviously, you know, you're very right on with that. But to the extent that society and the students and the guidance counselors see that reshoring is happening, see that jobs are coming back, see that the, the factory now has a new occupant and, and they're hiring people at good wages, then the guidance counselor is going to tell Susie when she says, what do you think about becoming a welder? Sure, Susie, you should become a welder. That's a great career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, Harry, we heard that you were in Washington uh, back in June. Can you tell us what you talked about while you were there? Yeah, so I was at the at something called the U.S.-China Economic Security and Review Commission, which has nine, I think, nine commissioners, one of whom's a senator, the others are just very experienced Washington and business kind of people. And the whole subject of, of the group I was with was the supply chain in China, how to strengthen the U.S. supply chain and specifically relative to China. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we had experts on different subjects like chips and batteries and all this kind of stuff. So I was sort of the generalist and the um, it, it, was, it was fun. It was an honor, obviously, to be there. But the I made the I made the point that uh, that the the major problem we have, the major reason we have the, this big trade deficit, supply chain problems, is that manufacturing cost in the U.S. is just too high. Mm. Companies didn't go to buy go to China to buy stuff because uh, because they could only get it there. They went there initially because it was so much cheaper. And and uh, and and so to, to get to to redress that we need from, from our viewpoint um, high priority on skilled workforce many more kids going into apprenticeship and fewer going into liberal arts uh, you know, four-year programs we need uh, uh, we need a lower dollar you know the dollar is 20 or 30 percent higher than it would normally be uh, and that's due to our being the reserve currency so other countries, other companies all want to store their money here. It's a safe haven, all that kind of thing. And that's great for a bank, but it's horrible for a manufacturer because it makes your costs relatively too high. Okay. So, so to, if I could only do two things, it would be um, those two and then maybe a third, to keep immediate expensing. So immediate expensing says I, I have a capital investment and when do I write it off against my taxes? When do I depreciate it? And it used to be like seven years. And now uh, for this this year, it's still 100 percent write off in the current year. And then next year it'll be only 80 percent. And then the year after that, 60 percent will go back down to the old system. And a lot of companies I, I hear companies tell me, Harry, um, uh, my accountant said we're, we're making an awful lot of money. We're going to pay ta too much taxes. What should we do? 
say, buy a $200,000 machine tool to, you know, to, to cover up the taxes. And, and if that's what it takes to get them to automate and be productive, then so be it. So, so I'd say those three things. If we get those three things, I'd be, you know, I, I'd be rocking and rolling. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I read in the, the summary uh, of the reshoring <laughs> initiative of your time in Washington that, you know, if a 20% reduction in imports would cut the goods trade deficit by 50%. And I thought that that information shared was pretty powerful. Did, was there any impact or anything, an outcome that came out of your time there? I'm curious uh, what's happened since. Um, uh, they, they, they had, uh, they do these twice a month, I think, no, once, once, maybe once a month. And then the, the commission takes the results and they feed it up to Congress, up to the president, up to, they do reports, they do whatever. And mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure there's piles of papers <laughs> sitting around somewhere in ours, somewhere in here. Yeah. <laughs> but but, but from, from my viewpoint, what it did for me, uh, when I talk to people from Washington or senior people from companies, I refer to that and that, that gives credibility to our message. The fact mm -hmm. that, the, that the government thought enough of it to invite us to present yeah. and so on. So, so it, it, makes it, it makes it easier to, to get some attention to the subject. Yeah. So I, I appreciate your bringing it up. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I really like uh, you know, that you're doing this uh, on behalf of manufacturers because part of what we are, we're consistently talking about with all the different guests that we have is how can we make manufacturing exciting again? And that means that everybody has to be talking about it. Um, mm -hmm. So you uh, being in Washington and having a voice on behalf of manufacturers and the initiative to reshore, I think helps everybody. So I, I do have a question. Let, let me throw um, one other thing before you do that. Yeah. Skilled workforce, very important. So I'm wearing my manu manufacturing is cool t-shirt. Oh, <laughs> nice. Love it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Which is... Uh, which we give away uh, one uh, to anybody who reports a case of reshoring that we did not already know about. Oh. Okay. So for all your listeners, if you can find, you can find a place on our website, you can find a, how to email me. And, uh, uh, and if you give me a case and we didn't know about it, you get one of these and surprise, surprise, it's made from us cotton, and it's made entirely in the United States. Awesome. Fantastic. <laughs> it's a very cool sh shirt, black and white. Uh, people should want to have this manufacturing is cool t-shirt. So yep. I, I can yep. vouch for that. Um, all right. So, you know, what does the reshoring initiative offer to help companies benefit? First, we offer hope. I'd say you, you, you have to have some hope. You have to have confidence to, to get anywhere. And and I'd say three, four years ago, the U.S. manufacturing was in su such a decline. Ten years ago, whatever that uh, you know, manufacturing employment had been going going down like this for 20, 30 years, and we just kept losing and losing to offshore more factories closing. And now, because we've documented, because we've shown that these jobs are coming back companies, people have confidence, more confidence in manufacturing, more confidence in the country than they would have otherwise. You know, the, the, there was a survey that one of the companies did, and, and they concluded that companies that know, company A knowing that company B and C have reshored, it makes it more likely to, for company A to decide to reshore. Mm -hmm. So just seeing that it's happening, seeing that the, that the trend is in that direction, 
we think if, if we do nothing else, if all we've done is, is make it credible uh, for someone in the company to suggest one, why don't we think about reshoring? If I've achieved that, I've, I've achieved enough. But uh, uh, so we offer that, we provide that, and then we have the <clears throat> TCO estimate or total cost of ownership. Mm -hmm. So uh, most companies decide on purchase, where, where to source something or where to put the factory based on the wage rate, based on the FOB or XWorks price. I can buy it there cheaper than here. And, and so the TCO estimator helps them start with that price in the US and with the other country and add in the duty and the freight and the carrying cost of inventory, and the risk of stocking out, the, the risk of uh, intellectual property loss, and all this uh, travel costs, all this kind of mm -hmm. stuff. And, and, and our data from the users of the TCO estimator shows that uh, when companies switch from just price to uh, total cost, that 20 or 30% of what they're now importing, all of a sudden they realize they can be more profitable bringing it back. Wow. And, and that 20 or 30% is uh, millions of jobs. Mm -hmm. sure. you know, it, it's sort of half of the objective. So if I could yeah. just get everybody to do TCO, um, I, I, could, uh, I could take a couple of weeks vacation. <laughs> <laughs> is that a TCO estimator, is that on your website or is that something they would reach out to you and, and you would walk <clears throat> them through it? It seems like it would be an exercise for sure. Well, it's, it's on the website. Uh, it's it's free to use. They have to sign up and then sign in. Mm -hmm. um, and there's instructions and explanations and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> we are and there's webinars that we've uh, done and that are archived and they can pick up and watch. And there's mm -hmm. articles about it that we've written uh, that they can find. Um, but the uh, the important thing is is to get on and do it. You know, give, give it a shot. You know, to, to, and we don't say we don't pound on the table like Trump did and say bring everything back. We say, do the math and bring back what makes sense for you. Bring back sure. the work that, with which you'll be more profitable if you bring it back. Yeah, so we'll include a link to all of that in the show notes for sure. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. Is there anything else that you would advise uh, other than the estimator that companies do today? to kind of evaluate or get started with reshoring. I have to imagine when they made the decision to offshore, that was a big decision, took a lot of work. Now the decision to, to reshore would, again, it, it's a project. So what can companies do and, and what should they be thinking about there more than that TCO? Okay, so I'll differentiate between two kinds of companies, the, the OEMs, and then the supply chain companies or uh, contract manufacturers, people like mm -hmm. that, okay? And so for the OEMs, uh, we, we don't say pick three or four products at random and do the calculation. We say pick the parts, the products that you're importing and where you have pain. You have quality issues, you have delivery issues, too much inventory or not enough, travel, midnight telephone calls, trying to arrange for stuff to come in. We are, we're, we're, we're people are suffering because then when you do the analysis on those, you'll have champions that will support the process instead of poo-pooing it, okay? Oh, yeah. So that's important. Start with the pain. Um, and for the, uh, the contract manufacturers or general supply chain companies, we, we have a program called the Import Substitution Program. So if, if the company makes a – if they're really good at making widgets of some kind. Sure. And we can tell that we can train them on TCO 
and then we can tell them who the biggest importers of widgets are so that the company we're dealing with can then go to those um, importers and say, I see you're bringing in 50 tons a year, 100 tons a year of that product, and we've done the math, and we, we understand roughly what you're paying for it. We, we've done the math, and looking at all the relevant data, we think you will be five or 10 percentage points better off to buying those from us. So let's get together and see what we can do in the interest sure. of your company, our company, the country, you know, yeah. our kids, yeah. and everything else. Eh? And then we have a program somewhat similar for states in which we can identify the biggest supply chain gaps. Think of PPE, you know, rare earth minerals, things, very obvious things like that. And then the state uh, decides which ones they want to have in their state. And we tell them who the biggest foreign suppliers are, and they get those foreign suppliers to do foreign direct investment and build a factory in the state to supply those gaps sure. and fix that problem. Okay. Okay, so we've got a, got a series of programs here to to help um, help make things better. Yeah. yeah. Well, I definitely am hearing if there's any manufacturer out there thinking about doing this, contacting Harry Moser would be really valuable. Yep, right here. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I think this is a good time to switch to the other fun half of the of our segment here, which is um, where we, we share something we just learned. So Chris, can you finish this sentence? I just learned that. I just learned that Wisconsin is the largest producer of ginseng in the United States. It is you know? true. I knew that one. You knew it? I didn't know it. I was, uh, so, uh, Harry, if you don't know all three of us, um, you know, the, the hosts of this podcast, we're, we're all located in Wisconsin and I have been trying to slowly switch from coffee to tea. I love coffee. Um, but I was, you know, exploring some ginseng, uh, tea and that's when it became known to me that we have this large production. I mean, it's like Marathon County, Wisconsin accounts for 95% of the production in the United States. I had no idea this. So, um, th that's something I learned. Well, you could grow your own then, right? On your Yeah, farm? I guess I, I get, I could explore it. I mean, it's not even anything <laughs> I've thought about before. <laughs> That's fun. What did you learn, Lori? How do you finish? Um, this yeah, yeah. So I, I, I thought this was fascinating. You know, I always look at like stats and digital anything around the digital ecosystem. Um, so if you combine all of the streaming services, um, they actually surpassed people watching actual just live cable TV in the month of July. Um, just, just by a little nudge. So um, streaming accounted for thirty-four point. 0.8% of um, all U.S. television watching in July, where cable was at 34.4%. So it's just a little smidgen. Um, but I mean, we anticipated this happening eventually, right? So, sure. so cable's kind of slowly um, going away and, and the streaming channels are, um, that's what that's what's growing. There isn't really one streaming platform that outshines any other ones right now. They're just kind of in this war <laughs> who's who can retain the attention the longest of their viewers but um i just thought that was interesting i was wondering when that was going to happen and i just saw that data was published yeah. recently that is interesting so that's the first time it's happened the, mm -hmm. the switch yeah yep I mean, yep all right Harry, anything you want to share that you've learned recently 
You know, I learn something every hour. So I, <laughs> uh, but, but, but what it reminds me of, though, is something that I that someone I read about and I try to remember to do when I see somebody I haven't seen for a year or two. And I say something like uh, Bill or Sue, uh, what if, what do you know now that you did not know when, when we last met? Sure. It's a way to engage, build a bridge, find out what's going on, show you're interested in what they do. So, so one thing, just just that, that that reminds me of. I'm one of the things I do very well. I'm a good networker. Like if I'm at a reception, I meet everybody and you know f find out who wants to reshore. You know, but 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 <laughs> but, the, but the key thing I found in networking is to show interest in the other person. Yeah. And if you show interest in them, if you're where you're from, what do you do? What's important to you? You know, this kind of stuff. Then, then, then when we eventually get around to what's important to me, they're more likely to listen, more likely to participate. So, so, so I think it's, it's like you, you got to give before you get or something like that. I think it's something we can all do better at. Oh, great advice. I love, love it. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm going to um, use it too, Harry. I'm stealing it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Uh, all right. You know, you, you shared a little bit about your website as far as people can go there, but why don't, what if someone's interested in getting in touch with you, Harry, what's the best way that they can reach out and connect? Well, on the website, it does have uh, info at reshorenow.org, and that comes to me. But I'm directly, I'm harry.moser, M-O-S-E-R, at reshorenow.org. And I'm 847-867-1144. If you just can't wait, <laughs> you want to get me right now. <laughs> and uh, so we're you know, delighted to hear from you. We, we've got this 5 million job uh, mission and we add them up one at a time. And we want to help you uh, bring some back. All right, that's great. That's we great. will include all that information in our show notes. Thank you so much, Harry, for taking the time to chat with Chris and I. We missed Aaron again. She had something come up real quick, but um, she was looking forward to chatting with you as well. Yeah, Hi, ladies. it was great. Yeah, Have thank fun. you, Harry. Have thank you one, for everybody. being such a big advocate. <laughs>